all remain standing. Get your Bibles, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 in your Bibles this morning. We are using a new mic today, so we're adjusting some levels. Is it, We're good? Now it sounds like we're good. Okay, Luke chapter 4. We're continuing our series here, This is Jesus. And as we're looking here in Luke 4, Jesus is still... Uh, there in Capernaum, he just cast a demon man out in the synagogue as we looked at last week. And people there in the synagogue were amazed at Jesus for his authority as he declared the scriptures and also his authority over the demons here at this point. And now we're looking here just maybe hours later as they're leaving the synagogue here, Luke chapter 4, begin reading in verse 38. It says, And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever. And they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, and all that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. About two months ago, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. And now we're looking here in Luke chapter 4, his second I must we find in the book of Luke. He says, I must preach the gospel. Today we're going to look at the purpose of Jesus' ministry. The purpose of Jesus' ministry. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, the privilege that it is to be in it together this morning. God, I thank you, God, for not only giving us instruction in your word, but also helping us learn more about you, God, who you are, Lord, your heart. For the people you came for, the heart, your heart for the people you created. But I pray that you'd help us this morning, God, to be thankful for that, to be aware of that. When to increase our faith, feed us as you have us to be fed this morning. Be with me as I preach. Lord, I pray that you just give me your words, your power. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. There was this man that was determined to give his mother a very good gift. He was successful in business. He had a lot of money. And he wanted to make sure this gift that he gave her would be one that would stand out and one that would outdo any other gift anyone else could ever give her. And he read about this bird that had a vocabulary of 4,000 words. They could speak in multiple languages. They could, th- they could sing three songs. And he spent $50,000 on this bird to get for his mother. And the next day, he hadn't heard from her yet. And he called her to see if she received it and how she liked it. And he said, what do you think of the bird? And she said, it was delicious. As we continue to look here in the life of Jesus, you know, we come to understand that there were many people that had many different opinions on what his purpose was. And we see in our life, when we look at our life, our needs, the things that we ask Jesus for, many times we go to him for, for many different things. And these people started to wonder what this Messiah was going to do and when he was going to build his army, when he was going to take over, when they were going to have their freedom, and when he would come and do more miracles here or there or there. But Jesus here, every time this would happen, he would remind the people why he truly came. And we understand the purpose of the book of Luke, the, the main verse in it is that G, the Son of Man is come to what? Seek and to save that which was lost. 
And Jesus here was reminding them that his purpose in ministry was not just to perform miracles, not just to do things for other people, not to even bring them freedom over the Romans as they thought he was going to do. But his reason was to seek and to save them. And I'm glad he did. And as a reminder to Jesus' purpose in ministry, first of all, I want us to see this morning the scope of Jesus' ministry. You know, Jesus had just cast out the demon in the synagogue. I love that story last week as he thought two to three hundred people possibly in that synagogue and this demon, demon-possessed demon man stands up and speaks out and Jesus tells him to stop. He leaves. He does. Everyone was amazed at the authority that Jesus had there in the synagogue. And as this service ended, Jesus and many of the other Jews, they went to their dwelling places for the day and, and Jesus this particular day went to the home of Peter. Often after they, after they would meet in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, they would leave around noon and they would go and they would have lunch together, just like many of us do every Sunday today. And as Jesus arrived there at the house of Peter, very quickly he found out that Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. I mean, look at this woman. She was sick and she was taken with this fever. She could not help herself. That word taken that they got there, there, there in our Bible came from the word seneco meaning to hold completely. So this fever that she had had such a hold on her, she really could not do anything. She was most likely in and out of consciousness at this time. She could not ask for help herself. So we see there in verse 38, it says, In the people, and they besought him for her. People asked Jesus for help for this woman. She couldn't help herself. Other people had to go to Jesus for her. You know, my kids will often come to me or their mom on behalf of another. Sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad reasons. You know, just a few weeks ago, we were over at the Davenport's house, and we, we were there, and, and one of my sons, not going to say which one, you might be able to guess which one, got in trouble that, that night. And he, had, he got punished for that. And just uh, about an hour later, uh, Sean Davenport came down the stairs, and he approached me. And he said, Pastor, I want to let you know that the reason... Your son got in trouble was because of me, and I want you to not punish him like you, like you punished him. He was asking me to, to lessen the punishment of my, of my son, and I looked and said, hey, he made the decision to, he made this bad choice. He's still in trouble. I appreciate that. That's a good friend, but he came on behalf of my son. You know, there may be people in here that have come on behalf of a coworker before to the boss, Maybe someone that has gone uh, to their parents on behalf of one of their siblings or to a sibling on behalf of another sibling trying to make peace or, or going on behalf of one friend to another friend to help them. We do that from time to time. But what about issues that matter for eternity? Just a few weeks ago, we, we preached on praying for the, the, the furtherance of the gospel. It keeps coming back here. This is just the next, next verse, the next passage we're looking at in the book of Luke. And we see these people besought Jesus on behalf of Peter's mother-in-law. Do we go to Jesus on behalf of others? Are we praying for the souls in this world? Are we praying for those that may be under our influence or those that we may have relationships with to come to Jesus? Are we praying for them to grow in the Lord? Are we praying for them to, to stay out of sin or to, to get out of the lifestyle they might be in? Are we praying for others? Who have we been seeking Jesus for? Look, at, look a few pages ahead in Luke chapter 11. Hold your place here, but Luke chapter 11. One of the greatest friends you could have is a friend that prays for you. 
If you look here in Luke chapter 11, verse 7, it says, And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. This is a parable. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, meaning because another friend kept asking, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. Persistence. And then he says, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. There was a friend going on the behalf of another friend and eventually it made a difference. And he tells us there in that last verse, ask, and it shall be given. That word ask there is an active verb intending a continual activity. Continual asking, an active, an active form there. Repeatedly going to God on the behalf of someone else or on the, the, the needs of someone else. Are we doing that? Now these people went to Jesus on behalf of Peter's mother-in-law, and then we see Jesus doing what he did, and he cast out the fever. What does it say there, verse 39? And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. He cast that fever out with authority. Now we've already learned in the first four chapters of the book of Luke that Jesus has authority over everything. He has authority over a storm and a sickness. He has authority over a man And what a man may be dealing with to the devil himself, he has the authority. That word rebuke that was used there for casting out this sickness is the same word that they used for casting out the demon in the previous passage. And the same authority he had over the demon, he had that authority over this sickness. His authority has no match today. That fever was no match for Jesus. The Bible tells us in in the beginning of this book that with, with God nothing shall be impossible. Are you thankful this morning that our God has authority to do that? He cast out the fever with immediate results. He found out she was sick. He spoke. It left. And she got up. As soon as Jesus rebuked the fever, she was healed completely. I had a fever our first week here. And I was down for about five or six days, and it took a while to come back. Many of us have been sick the last several months, and it takes a while to come back, doesn't it? Usually when, it, when a fever breaks, it, it takes a person a while to build their strength or to get back to normal activity or just feeling normal or to feel like doing anything. But this lady was restored to a point where she was held captive by this fever. It was released, and she gets up and gets to work right away. This was a great fever. And she immediately was over it, got up and served. That's a testimony to the power and completeness of the cure. Church, I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is enough. You know, as, as we look at these last several hours over this, really half of this chapter four, you know, Jesus cast the demon out in the middle of his preaching. Now he heals some with a fever. There is nothing beyond the scope of his ability. There's nothing too great and there's nothing too small that he will not handle for us. You know, we can go to the very beginning of the Bible and we we understand that our God created this universe that we live in from nothing. We referenced last week, we've already referenced once this week, that he was able to speak to the winds and the waves and he called them the most violent of storms. He's able to take five loaves and two fishes and feed thousands of people. He's able to speak a word and deliver a man from the captivity of thousands of demons. 
He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, even those things that we find in the Word of God. He's able to handle the big needs, but he's also able and he cares about the smallest of needs. The God that took this universe and created it from nothing could put tax money in the mouth of a fish for a person. He's able to calm the the stormy seas and he's able to speak peace into the heart of a Christian. He's able to multiply the fish and, and, and the loaves to feed thousands of people, but he, can also tell, he also tells us that he cares to feed a tiny sparrow. He's able to break the grip of Satan and deliver a demon-possessed man, and he's able to reach into the heart of each and every one of us and save a lost sinner by his grace. He's able to do the great things, and he's able to do the small things. What do you need help with today? You have a situation this morning that needs to be handled. Bring it to them. Is there a temptation that you may be dealing with in your life that keeps causing you to fall? Look to God. There may be someone here this morning that just has been in sin and, and you have this sin in your life and you have really just a dark cloud over you. You feel like, and you know you're supposed to live for God or please God, but you have these things that are there and you feel like there's nothing that can help you or nothing that can give you that relief from those things. He wants to forgive those sins. There may be someone here looking to make a big decision. You need wisdom for it. The Bible tells us in the book of James, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men, what? Liberally, and it braideth not, and it shall be given him. We may just look at our world, our society, all the problems in it, and you, and you wonder, how, how can I raise my children to live for God in this generation? Bring it to them. Whatever the needs Whatever the situation, whatever the burden, bring it to Jesus. Because he can handle it. And he can meet the need. Nothing too big. Nothing too small. That's the scope of his ministry. All your cares. Whosoever will. Every temptation. All. There's one other observation here. After this woman was healed, it was immediately followed by service. She was out of it. She got healed of the fever. It left. She got up and she started serving Jesus and whoever else was in the house. Completely healed. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I share my life verse with you, verse 15, and that he died for all that they which live shall not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. But the verse before that says, verse 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. It, it has such a hold, it should have such a hold on the Christian that it affects the way we live, it affects, it affects the way we act, it impacts our decisions. If, if, you're, if you're saved, it should have a hold on you to a point where you want to serve God and you want to make a difference for God. You are motivated just to live for him. I reminded of 2 Peter chapter 1 when it, it tells us of things that should be in our life, uh, uh, faith and brotherly love and, and, and temperance, all those things that we find there in 2 Peter chapter 1. Virtue, knowledge, godliness, brotherly kindness. 
And he tells us after that, he says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Basically saying, because of the new nature we've been given as Christians, because of the work that Jesus has done in our life, it should have made such a difference that we are living as he's commanded us to live. That we are obeying the words, the commands, the, the, the instruction we've been given in the word of God. And he says, if we've forgotten those things, and if we evaluate our life right now, and we look at the fruit of our life and what is coming from our life, the works that are coming from us, if those things are missing, most likely we've forgotten what's been done for us. If we look at this woman, Jesus healed her. She got up and served. We look at the life of a Christian and verse after verse evidence, if, God, if you have been saved because of what's been done, with an awareness of the salvation you've received, it should motivate us to live for him. It should motivate us to try to stand out and be a light in this world. Question for the saved people here this morning, what are you doing for Jesus? He came for everyone, for every problem. That's the scope of his ministry. What about the qualities of his ministry? What, what, did it, what, what was involved in it? What, what describes it? First of all, it was a serving ministry. He did what he did there in 38 and 39. Then we look there in verse 40. It says, Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them, And healed them. The Jewish days would begin and end with the setting of the sun. We understand this was a Sabbath day. There were certain rules that needed to be be lived by and obeyed. They could only go so many steps. They could only do so many things. There could only be so many actions done on the Sabbath day. But as soon as the sun set, it was a new day. He cast out a demon earlier. News that spread, Peter's mother has been sick for a while possibly, and now she's up serving. The news spread. And the people of Capernaum waited for that moment. And as soon as the sun set, they started to bring those that needed help to Jesus. And as we see that happening, we don't see people turned away. We see him serving them with compassion. What, What does it say there? And he laid his hands on every one of them. Didn't even, not just speak the word, he he touched them. You know, Jesus' entire ministry involved him showing compassion on those in need. Think about his day. He had been there in the synagogue and, and, and preaching and, and dealing with the problems that came up just a few hours before. And then he's at, at Peter's house and, and no doubt he healing his mother. That, that took something out of Jesus and the fellowship and all the attention that he needed to give to others. I'll tell you, after a Sunday, I'm pretty tired. But as, as the sun set, the people came and Jesus did what he needed to do. There wasn't a clock on it, not a certain quota where he'd stop. He helped any who had need. He had compassion. So I was looking at that this week, I was reminded of Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus looked out on the, out on the multitudes. 
And it said, and when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He had compassion on the people and it moved him to do something about it. He looked out and he saw people that without him had nothing. You know, he didn't just look at what was apparent on the surface. Every person he looked at was a soul in need of him. And these people here in this chapter, they just kept coming. But he wasn't impatient. He wasn't offended by their requests. He laid his hands on them and he healed them. How do you see people? How do you see the person at work? How do you see the person at the corner? How do you see the mom and dad of maybe some children that may not be so well behaved? (laughs) Some people that may have offended you? People across the street? The person that cuts you off at, at the light? How do we see people? You know, often we base our evaluation on what we see with our eyes or hear with our ears. We see Jesus saw people with compassion. May we learn to see them as he does. You know, every person that we come in contact with is a sinner that needs God. If they don't have him, if they never put their faith and trust in him for salvation, the Bible says they will, when they die, they'll go to hell. Do we have compassion for those? About 30 years ago, there was a boy named Mark. He was walking home from school, and he noticed ahead of him was a young man that went to a school. He didn't know him, but he saw this young man fall, and he was carrying a bunch of things. He dropped his books, and everything that he had in his arms went everywhere, and he ran over, and he began to help this man. These are ninth, 10th graders, and he started to help him pick up his load, and he, he noticed he had a baseball hat, a glove, he had a couple sweaters. It looked like his whole locker was in his hands or in his backpack, and you know, he helped him pick up those things and walk to the house that this boy lived at, and this young man was really appreciative of his compassion that he showed, and he invited him in, offered him a Coke, and they spent the rest of the afternoon talking. During the walk home, Mark learned that his new friend Bill was struggling in school and had just broken up with his girlfriend, and they finished the day together and really never never did much together beyond that point. But they'd see each other throughout the rest of their high school and occasionally say hi or check up on each other and not much beyond that. A few weeks before graduation, Bill approached Mark and he asked him if he remembered the day that they met. And he said, yeah, and he said, did you ever wonder why I was carrying so many things that day? And without pausing for an answer, he explained that he cleaned out his locker and was taking all these things home because he was so sick of his life and what it looked like it was going to turn out to be that he was going to kill himself that day. He stored away sleeping pills. He was headed home to end it all. When a young man named Mark saw him fall, helped him pick up his stuff and walked home and spent the day with him. He said, Mark, when you picked up my books, you saved my life. 
Imagine this morning how many times our small, insignificant, seemingly insignificant gestures of concern or compassion may reignite a flame in somebody's life or inspire someone to keep going or inspire somebody to have what you have. Compassion has a way of doing that. You never know what that could do for somebody. When you look at people, what do you see? Jesus had compassion and there was complete healing, total restoration. For every problem, he has a remedy. We look at his ministry, it wasn't just serving, but it was a sovereign ministry. Have you noticed the last four weeks, the, the, really all of chapter 4, the devil is fighting in opposition to Jesus. We look at the beginning of the chapter, we see the temptation of Jesus. Three different times the devil tried to get Jesus to stop what he was doing. Last week Jesus was preaching and a demon-possessed man interrupted the service. This week we see demons again crying out, acknowledging who Jesus is in this text. We see a, a, woman, a woman that needed help. The devil, the devil was trying to stop. And nothing has changed. But every time the devil tried to stop Jesus, Jesus continued to show his authority over the forces. At the risk of sounding like a broken record for the last month, there will be opposition to everything we try to do for God. Every step forward you try to make for God, there will be opposition. There's going to be trials that come in your life. There's going to be temptations. There'll be persecutions, doubts that come, fear, many emotions that come. But we know from the Bible, those things, many of those things do not come from God. But in opposition, Jesus is enough. He has ultimate authority. The Bible says in Colossians, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's enough. So we see the scope of Jesus' ministry, all, everyone, every problem, everything. The qualities of his ministry and the last thing, the main objective of his ministry. So we can think of that night, Jesus there, most likely still at Peter's house as people just kept coming and, and coming and coming to the door. He helped people late into the night and then we look here. In verse 42, and it says, And when it was day, he departed into a desert place. Jesus, no doubt, was tired. He left. He went to a desert place, to a place away from everyone else where nobody was. And as we look at the parallel passage of this in Mark chapter 1, we understand that Jesus went not just to be alone, but to have time alone with his Father, to pray. We need prayer. We need to be a church that prays. If Jesus was here seeking prayer, if Jesus was, was trying to get strength from his Father, how much more do we need that? And we, it wears beyond this thought. He said, workers who are too busy to pray are too busy, and God will not bless their efforts. If the Son of God had to spend time in prayer while ministering on earth, how much more do we need to pray? 
So Jesus is there seeking strength and help and having communion with his, with his Father. And then he was interrupted by Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And they've come to tell him that, that people need him, and not just some people, but really most of the people in Capernaum, it seems like, are looking for him. You know, we look here in verse uh, 42, and it says, and the people sought him. Multitudes had come. We can look in the other passages and find many, many people were there trying to follow him. You know, last night the people of the city had crowded the door of the house looking for help and for healing. Now, hours later, they've returned seeking more from God. A multitude began to gather, and this no doubt excites the disciples. They're sure at this moment, as all this is happening, that Jesus is on the, the verge of incredible popularity and, and a huge following of people. Now it's the time for his kingdom to be established here on earth. They're thinking, hey, if we got all these people, if we had this following, it's, it's not too long before he's going to be declaring himself to be the Messiah. And he's going to lead us as an army to deliver the nation of Israel from this domination of Rome. And they look at this and they see a great opportunity. The people of Capernaum want Jesus to come back to town and to do some more miracles, and, and, and they'll cling to him even more at that point. What, what does the text say there at the end of 42? That he should not depart from them. Say, make Capernaum it, stay here. We have great things that can happen here. They didn't want him to leave. They wanted him all to themselves. And really, I can't blame them. If you had that relationship with Jesus, if you had that access to him at that point, why would you want him to leave? But we see Jesus refusing to allow the disciples or the people of Capernaum to dictate the direction of his ministry. He'd been, he'd been praying, he'd been communing with his father, and he knows what he needs to do. He'd helped. He brought great change, but that wasn't the, the full objective. And he said unto them, verse 43, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. Jesus didn't just come for one group of people. He didn't just come for this city. There are many other people that needed to hear. That word preached there in verse 43 is, is the word uglizo, and it means to bring good news, to announce glad tidings. The word for, for preached in verse 44 means to herald, to proclaim. Jesus was telling them, I can't stay here because there's good news that needs to be given. The kingdom of God needs to be advanced, and he's saying it's not a literal kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom. And all who are born again, all who are saved, all who are children of God are part of this. And it needed to be delivered passionately. Look at, look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. He didn't just come to demonstrate his power over the effects of sin on, in the body by physical healing. But he came to overcome sin's eternal consequences. It says here in Romans 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It is only by faith in the truth preached that a sinner can be rescued from Satan's kingdom and enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus did not just come to this world to be a healer or a teacher or a miracle worker. He came so that the people might have an eternal Savior. He loves every class of people, every race, every, every description. He loves people in spite of their past, their potential, their addictions. He wants all to be saved. He has compassion for them. He has compassion for those that are trapped in sin. He has compassion for those that reject him time after time. He has compassion for those who do not know him or, or have never heard of him. He has compassion for you. The message was more important than the miracles. And he tells them, you want me here, but I have to go to towns where they have not yet heard. So the gospel can be given to them too. That was his main objective. That was his purpose. And it needs to be continued, preached to everyone. Do you know why you're here? Are you doing your part? It's our job. If we look in Revelation, we were made to bring glory to God. But if you're a Christian, the same commission that Jesus was out to do, he passed on to us right before we left. Are we doing it? There was a husband and wife that had all kinds of busyness, as many of us do. And after a season of this, they decided to go for a few days away at the beach. They got a, stayed at a hotel they really liked there on the coast. They got in late that night, and immediately a storm came in, and they could hear all night the winds blowing and the waves crashing, and they could see the light of the, the lightning and the sound of the thunder coming through. Right before morning, the storm left. The man woke up to go outside and to, and to see the damage, and as he started to walk the coast, he saw all kinds of, of starfish that were just stranded there on the sand because of how the waves had brought them in. And the starfish, they would be living in the water. As soon as the sun would come out, they would dry and they would die. And as he was walking along the coast, he saw this little boy doing something that caught his attention. This little boy was out on the beach that same morning and he saw all these starfish and knew what was going to happen if they stayed. And he saw this little boy one by one picking up a starfish and throwing it back into the water. And he'd bend down and move on to the next one. And this man went up to him and he said, why are you doing that? Can't you see that you're really not going to make a difference in the starfish population? You'll never be able to get all these back into the water. There's just too many. 
And the boy looked at him and he said, yes, that's true. And then he smiled and he said, but it sure made a difference to that one. If we look at our life, and there's so much going on sometimes, it's overwhelming. If you look at the world, you look at the people in it, look at people that are chasing one thing after the next, trying to live their life. Let me look at what we are, who we are and what we are capable of, and we think, you know what? I'm not going to be able to make that much of a difference. You know, you might not be able to change the world on your own, but you can make the difference in a life of just one. With a little compassion, just doing what we've been commanded to do. That's your purpose. Jesus' purpose was to preach the gospel, and he handed it on to us. Are we doing it? Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.